Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? This is the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast in the week that this season's Premier League ascended to new levels of surrealism. Owen Murphy and Ken here. Hi. Hi Owen, are you? Hello there, If you're Wes Morgan in the cinema last night, right, would you, A, turn off your phone entirely, mm. B, stick on airplane mode, or C, have it on and scroll through Twitter for the entirety, rejoicing in the defeats of all your title rivals rather than focusing on... I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio crawling across America or something. <laughs> I'm assuming he's everyone, everyone's at the Revenant there. So. Oh, such an awful movie. Um, don't get me started, he loved it. Well, I don't know what he loved about it. Well, he's right here, he could maybe explain. Yeah, well, no, I've asked him already and he, and he doesn't know. Right, he thinks that's why he hasn't said a word yet in this debate about The Revenant. Yeah, no, no, well, I, I really liked The Revenant. I thought it looked very nice, Ken. It looked very nice. It was a very interesting movie. I saw uh, an IMAX movie back in the 90s with uh, Val... I set that up for you, Ken, in fairness. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing you to now destroy me, so you might as well... Uh, I want to see if I can remember... You were about to say Val Kilmer, weren't you? Val... You started with... V- and you said mid-90s, it had to be... An IMAX movie, it couldn't, couldn't be anyone but Val Kilmer. Um... Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm sorry, but I'm going to check. But that's okay. Out I'm going to talk to him about what he would do if he was Wes Morgan, Leicester captain, sorry, in the cinema you're last sure he night. Was, he was in the cinema. Yeah, last that, night. according to uh, well, both BT and BBC, a lot okay. of them may play on this fact. Would you? Would you have your phone? Wings of Courage. <laughs> that was the name. <laughs> I, I, I would have. Uh, I'd have been checking Twitter. Yeah. What's your Wings of Courage? What's the point of bringing that up? Well, uh, it was an IMAX movie. Mm-hmm. First time I've been to see an IMAX movie, 1995. This is mm-hmm. Val Kilmer uh, played a character Henri Guillaume. No, no, no. Sorry, hang on. He wasn't Henri Guillaume. He was a different guy. Um, his character was called Mamos. Mm. 
I, rem- I remember that. Yeah. Who knows? That was how it was always said. And he basically, the plot he was is... hot off the doors. He's, he's out in, um, he's in like uh, bloody South America, yeah. the Andes. And he's kind of a postal, he's like a mailman who flies a plane or, or something like this. Yeah. Or maybe he's an adventurer. One way or the other, he crashes his plane. Yeah. And he ends up having to walk back to civilization through the Andes Mountains. Right? In stunning IMAX, uh, you know, cinematography. This was three times as good as The Revenant because it was only 40 minutes long. (laughs) And The Revenant is is nine hours? No, it's about two hours and 20 minutes. It feels a lot longer, though. No, it doesn't, Ken. Because the scenery is so amazing, you actually feel as though you're there experiencing the whole thing in real time. There's also the the incipient threat of violence or Perhaps even death for our uh, our uh, beloved hero. Somehow, I always thought that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to make it to the end of that movie. <laughs> well, no, we don't need a spoiler, Ken. I mean, just because yourself, Murphy and Wes Morgan, really have seen it spoiled. doesn't mean that the whole I don't world think you. To be fair, I don't think you've spoiled a whole lot there. Email the alert. bear scene, Ken. I mean, Email that's... alert. This grizzly man was a lot better than the Revenant. Email alert. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. Click, 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 click. Today's scumbag is Alexander Peters. Oh, he's a real scumbag. Oof, yeah, this, I know guy. this guy. This, yeah, this guy. I don't actually know, he but I know that he's a scumbag. Just in case the legal legals are listening. <laughs> <laughs> the When did he send this? Oh, this was sent on Monday. I meant to read this out on Monday show. Didn't get a chance to, but most of, in fact, all the points are still relevant given Arsenal's result against Swansea last night. Hello, second captains. Hello, Alexander. Reading Ken's column this morning on Arsenal's disastrous performance yesterday, I was struck by how suited Arsene Wenger will be to my current surroundings. Sitting in a dimly lit Viennese cafe surrounded by men either getting their usual 9am Monday morning pint or old men smoking while they pass the day away, I can almost imagine our saints sitting alongside, puffing on a cigarette, no smoking ban here. What brings you here? I would ask. Well, uh, I had it all but was brought down by Danny Drinkwater and Marcus Rashford. After that I could not continue and he returns to his French novel. Should Arsenal not win the league this year, and either Spurs or Leicester are victorious, surely Arsene's position is that word that is thrown about when a manager is sacked, but nobody really knows what it means. Untenable? Question mark. Yesterday's defeat felt at like the end of an era, but then again, so did the 8-2, or the defeat at Bradford, or the 6-0 at Chelsea, etc. Maybe he labours on for another season, but a new contract seems impossible to justify. Your thoughts would be appreciated. Big fan of the show from Alex Peters, who emailed secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Good news for you, Alex. We're going to talk a lot to Richie Sadler about Arsenal on today's podcast. He went to see them live, getting stuffed by Manchester United in that game you mentioned. Let's get into the report on sport right now. Yeah, um, it was... I mean, I, I think it has that feeling as well. This this week for Arsenal, it seems like a... Bad week. <laughs> how can you go on? How can this continue? Um, I mean, even the, the last minute of the game against Swansea, Petr Cech goes up for uh, the corner kick and then in the process of trying to run back to his box, injures himself and is out of the Tottenham game. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, But when it's not going your way, I guess it really isn't going your way. I mean, people have been suggesting, since we were talking the last time, maybe Santi Cazorla's absence has got a lot to do with this. Santi Cazorla was the player who was kind of stitching it all together in the midfield, Um, you know, before he got injured. Was I think it was that game against Norwich. Um... 
you know, Arsenal were going really well. Since he's gone, everything's just sort of fallen apart. Um, I don't know. Maybe that has got something to do with it. Santi Cazorla has had a few situations like this where Arsenal have had a pretty good team and if he was a good enough player, he could have led them to the league title. To be fair, I think that Santi Cazorla has usually not... Uh, he he played most of his uh, football this nearly all his games in the league this season have been uh, as part of the two in a four two three one with uh, Coquelin, and he hadn't really been doing that much before until I think it was the Man City game last season. Remember Arsenal beat Man City unexpectedly away. It's like wow. Usually they 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 concede four or five goals in this game, and here they are beating Man City. With less possession. This hmm. was the sea change that everyone had uh, waited for from Arsenal. And Cazorla, who is no, nobody's idea of a traditional Premier League midfield, central midfield powerhouse, was really, really good. I mean, he was, uh, you know, Cazorla is like a little a little fat guy. I mean, he looks like a little fat guy. I'm sure he's he's not fat. He's just, the, he's just sort of like a little, a small barrel, you know? But what he does have is, and he's not quick, you know, uh, and he's not going to really, um, you know, upend any of his opposing players with, with uh, rough play. But he is two-footed. He's able to pick out passes, and he thinks really fast. And actually, it turned out this these are really useful qualities to have in a central midfielder, um, even in this kind of rollerball league. And, uh, okay... But you know the thing is that every every team has got injuries. It's not as though you, if 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 your entire uh, system is resting on the frail physique of Santi Cazorla, you need to build an extra layer of redundancy into your system. Last night's results seemed particularly damaging in in the way that they, particularly the way that Petr Cech conceded that goal to Ashley Williams. Well. You know, I'm surprised they didn't complain a bit more about the fact that that was offside, you know. Mm. Williams was, I mean, I suppose there's no point to any complain. They complained about the first goal, the Ozil. Uh, the, uh, there was a foul on Ozil in the, the build-up. Build yeah. um, the second goal was offside. Uh, and if Ashley Williams wasn't offside, then probably he doesn't score. But, you know, again, these things happen. There just seems something symbolic about their most consistent player. The guy doesn't make mistakes. Okay, no. Bad first game of the season, but so many pieces have been written now about Czech being the steadying influence, etc. And regardless of offside or not, he should have been clearing. They should have been at least punching that ball away. Yeah, and certainly not. He seemed to get a half a hand on it, just directing it back towards actually in a split second mm. and allowing Williams to kind of bundle it over. I mean, it, you know, he needed to catch that ball really if he was going to if he was going to make any kind of effective intervention. Because if he punches it, it's straight at Williams, either straight into Williams's body or. There's an entire penalty area swarming with Swansea players that he's about to parry the ball into, you know, and, and as he falls to the ground. Do you, do you not think it was a terrible mistake? Do you not think it was a handy enough catch for a keeper of Czech standard? I don't think it would have mattered if Olivier Giroud hadn't done the usual. You know what I mean? Presented with a, a gently dropping ball seven yards out, he cracks the hardest volley I've ever seen off the crossbar. Why don't you just knock that one into the net there? Olivier. I mean, they were a bit unlucky as well with Sanchez hit the post uh, and the bar. And then, you know, Leicester at the other end of the scale, <laughs> like Danny Drinkwater has a, you know, an Adam Lalana type shot and it just uh, flies off someone and curls, uh, you know, loops perfectly into the net. I mean, you can get lucky or sometimes you don't get so lucky. Yep. Speaking of Adam Lalana, actually, I mean, he, uh, 
I mean, we've spoken before about his tendency to take shots which don't seem to have calculated very well the likelihood of scoring the goal. And you could see this in Jurgen Klopp's reaction to the goal, <laughs> where he, he seems like he's just about to blow and then is slightly bewildered to see the ball go in and then sort of smirks. It's like, oh, right, okay, well, fair enough then. But, I mean, Lallana's goal, I've never seen a shot from a shot go in that bounced so many times on its way in. You know, it's like, mm. how can this... The fourth bounce was about maybe a foot beyond the the goal line. Yeah, but it, it hopped three times before going <laughs> before going in. So, old Joe Hart, uh, he was strolling around his penalty area with a kind of the complacent air of a man um, sort of grilling steaks, you know, on a, a Sunday barbie. And Joe Hart is there in his in his kind of Bermuda shorts and super dry, super dry flannel shirt. Right, and he's like turning over his stakes and you know whistling or whatever, um, and everything is 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 pretty much right. He's not even really thinking about much. He's just daydreaming. And suddenly, the thing, the barbecue, rears up and snaps shut around his head like a like a Venus flytrap. You know, it takes him by surprise. He doesn't he doesn't see that happening, and he doesn't have time to react. He in fact doesn't react. He st- he stares dumbly as the iron jaws of the thing jumps up and closes around him and you know that's basically what happened on that first goal it was like Lalana has the ball he's 25 30 30 you know coming closer but he's on his left foot there's no danger and then suddenly the ball's in the net and it was like oh uh i mean obviously your heart should have reacted faster but i can kind of see how he got caught out there because he can't concentrate for an entire football game it's joe hart's problem yeah, he his mistakes are so weird in that they're they're not always outright howlers as such. They're just saves that he should be making if he was fully switched on. He seems, does. It seems like he just 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 switches off a little bit from time to time, and I, I I can't explain why that would be. He does have a tendency, doesn't he, to to get beaten by long distance near post shots? Now that I think of it, didn't it didn't it happen to him when you when uh, England were playing Switzerland, who was it? That Tranquilo Barnetta beat him with a shot from a good distance out. Adam Johnson, I think, scored a goal from a long way out, a near post shot mm. uh, against Joe Hart. Uh, one for the Adam Johnson scrapbook, scrapbook there. Um, but yeah, uh, it wasn't, it, it was really poor for Manchester City and you're looking at it going, how, how is this, what is going on here? I mean, they, they played reasonably well. I mean, maybe Yaya Toure was sitting there going, well, told you. Told you I'm actually quite an important player, you know. You you doubted me, but obviously Pellegrini reckons he couldn't uh, couldn't use Toure again so soon. You know, Pellegrini has got very strict about it, and that was obviously his his excuse later was oh the energy we didn't have the energy. But you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know if it really works given that they were playing against Liverpool in that in that uh, final. Yep. Where to next? See, you've given me you, you Ken often gives me these little notes to guide the conversation, but. Today he just said, Premier, Premier League, League Premier League action is what it <laughs> well, says. Well, action, here. sorry. Okay. Who is the best team, uh, incidentally, in the, in, the, in the Premier League in 2016? In 2016, yeah. Tottenham? No. Man United? No. <laughs> uh, was it not Leicester still? No. West Ham? No. West Ham? Pa- no. no, Palace, highly Palace. No. Uh, They're also the top scorers. Chelsea. Chelsea. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Chelsea. That could have got real boring real quick. <laughs> I think we were already. one more wrong answer away from that being yeah. unconscionably boring. Well, you named nearly half the teams in the league. Uh, see, it seemed like you'd just totally forgotten about Chelsea, but they haven't gone away. You know, They're still there, um, although still uh, a long way back. But, um, yeah, I don't know what I can say. Oh, I should have mentioned before moving on from Klopp, he, I don't know if you saw his interview afterwards where he was, um, they asked him to speculate about where Liverpool might end up. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I haven't seen the results. I don't know. And then he said, oh, I saw Bayern lost, though. <sighs> and then, and that was obviously to Mainz, who were his, the club that he managed before, Borussia Dortmund, proceeded to then laugh. Oh, yeah, it's great. It, like the crazy laughter. Yeah. Was he, did he really find that funny? Or? Well, the question he was asked was spe- specifically, what do you think of all these other results tonight? And what, what it says about the shake-up. And he said, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen the results. Well, except that Bayern lost. Ah! Ah! And then he goes, but of course, maybe that means nothing to you. Ah! <laughs> uh, you did, better laugh at his joke. Yeah, he did a good, good one on BT Sport as well, where he said, um, they said well, what about that? Amazing. And he said, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. Just one word. Boom. <laughs> a lot of people have seen him shouting boom into the camera yeah. in a very excitable manner. He re- he really is quite endearing, uh, certainly when things are going well. Yeah, they were angry in a positive way. Um, we have to stay angry, strike back in each game, take whatever you get. That's the target in this league. Um, there was a little. Did Guardiola have a little pop at him after this game? He was having. He was laughing at Guardiola's team losing to Mainz, but Guardiola after the game. I mean, they lost at home. You know, it's bit of a 2-1 they lost. Guardiola says, no other team has won the Bundesliga four times in a row. This Borussia Dortmund team is completely different to the last three years, and we will have to fight until the last game. So uh, Dortmund, a lot better than they were for the three previous seasons. Well, Pep is probably getting nervous for a few different reasons. One, they could be on one of their late-season Champions League implosions. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, they struggled a bit against Juventus in the first leg. Yeah. Uh, he also well two reasons that and also he might be facing a first season in the Premier League without Champions League football I think that's really interesting now that uh, just the, the Bayern Juventus situation because Bayern had the game one means 2-0 the f- game's over now 2-all is still quite a good result to get away but you know there's every there's every chance of this I mean this is going to be a really nervous game they suddenly face <clears throat> Juventus got to the final last season Juventus have been on an amazing roll, you know. Okay, oh, they were losing last night badly. I should know to see how that came Oh, no, through. Juventus came through that. That was the cup. Yeah, they were 3 0 up in the first Italian leg. Cup first leg against Inter. We're 3 0 down. Uh, I did, I'll get a final score line. I'm Murph beaving away there. I'm on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's every chance. And suddenly, then imagine they knocked out in the second round. You know, it'd be like, well, and your season is over. It's like. Well, your season isn't over. You still got to hang on to the league title. But how depressing a situation would it be? Um, maybe uh, things wouldn't be going so smoothly at the end of the season. But um, that was also notable for being the first game that Uli Hoeneß uh, was at after his release from jail. He got out of oh. uh, prison after he he served his time. Sure, he took some money from the government, but he paid the money all back in full and did his time. Can we all just move on from this now? <laughs> Can everybody just move on? Um, so yeah, uh, that's uh, that's the situation there. Where else are we going? What about Tottenham? Uh, sorry, to oh sorry, but Juve did actually win that game on a penalty shootout. Okay, so they were three 0 up in the first leg, lost three yeah, yeah. 0 uh, and then won on penalty shootout. Sorry, can't sorry to interrupt. No, no problem, no problem. Uh, Tottenham obviously lost. Now 
you kind of uh, they lost against uh, West Ham, who uh, played pretty well. Oh, good, yeah. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how West Ham has now just accepted that West Ham are this steely physical team? Uh, certainly, Pochettino made reference to that afterwards. Uh, I don't know if that was that's the West Ham way, Ken. <laughs> but I think West Ham fans will be happy enough with uh, with those sort of performances. Yeah, I mean they've you, you know they're, they're it's it's they've got a great record this season. I mean they've beaten Spurs, beaten Arsenal, beaten City. Um, they've beaten Liverpool twice. They've obviously got to play Manchester United. They've got to play Manchester United a couple of times actually, once in the cup and once in the league. Um, and one point behind them in the race for the for the Champions League. I mean, Billich is talking about it. I mean, we were talking at the start of the season. I don't know if you remember, we had Jacob Steinberg on to talk about uh, Billich. Yeah, you were trying to put the boot into Billich before he even got started. I remember that. Well, we were about, it wasn't so much putting the boot into Billich. No, we it was were, a hatchet job. Yeah, I remember no, it, yeah. No, that wasn't it at all. We were, we were both expressing our concern. We were concern trolling Billich more than anything, really. <laughs> it was like, oh, I don't know if the defensive organization is really there. You know, maybe they're missing a little... Something since Sam Allardyce uh, left, uh, maybe everyone at West Ham is is in, is is kind of living this sort of fantasy of oh the West Ham way. We were kind of agreeing with Sam Allardyce's sarcastic comments about them at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this West Ham way is, and suddenly here they are actually playing far better football than they ever played under Sam Allardyce. And it's as though hang on, we, so we didn't really have to do it the Sam Allardyce way. You know, it's like Tony uh, Tony Pulis is, is a bit like this as well. Tony Pulis did an interview with Ian McIntosh um, the other day where he was talking about, you know, the, the divide between the haves and the have-nots in this league. You know, there's teams out there, that they've got everything they, they've got everything it takes to beat you in a football game. And you've got to, uh, you've got to find a way to, you know, compete with that. And it's just, it's kind of, for, for the moment, anyway, with the way the Premier League is at the moment, where every team is able to afford good players. I mean, this isn't going to last, by the way. This is only going to, this is only going to be the case for a, a few seasons, and there's going to be a bust. You know, the, the Premier League is not going to continue to be the wealthiest league by far and to be packed with so many good players. That, this isn't going to continue. So enjoy it while it lasts. Well, it might continue for a while. That's... It could continue for, for a couple of years. And then the, in the situation where you've got, you know, someone like Billich who, you know, was really determined to get Dimitri Payet for West Ham. Now, Sam Allardyce would not have signed this player. I don't believe no. he would have signed him. Um, you know, Tony Pulis isn't going to sign a player like that. Would Tony Pulis have Riyad Mahrez in his team? Tony Pulis talked about... Um, uh, who does jo- who does Tony Pulis really like in his West, Ham- West Brom squad? Which player? Which player did he pick out to praise? Darren Fletcher? James McLean. Oh. James McLean. What, did he, what quality of James McLean did he praise? In his, particular, her, you have his work exactly. <laughs> his work rate, his work rate is unbelievable. You know, and it's and it's like okay, absolutely. They, you know, everyone respects that quality that James McLean has, and there's no doubt that it's true. But at the same time, it's not the only thing in the game. You know what I mean? A, a team like West Brom. I mean, I don't know if Tony Pulis is going to be there next season, but I think there's a kind of a poverty of ambition in the outlook. You know, it's like, well, you know, we're the have-nots and we have to work really hard. Leicester City are top of the league. You know, this is a, this league has changed. Um, so that's what Leicester are doing now is more of a salutary tale for maybe some of the smaller clubs. Because so far, most of the focus has been on, well, how can Arsenal and Manchester United and Man City be in the situation where Leicester are ahead of them? But really, it should be, or there should be some sort of lesson there for 
the other clubs of lesser size. Mm, well, and, I think that I th- anyone can do this. I think so. Um, you know, and it's not. You don't have to adopt this sort of Allardyce Pulis approach that we are the little ones and we're just fighting to stay alive. If, I think if you start off with that outlook, then that will be true. You know, you will, you will eventually be like West West Brom barely have a shot. You know what I mean? They're a team that, that barely shoots. They've, they 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 have a f- kind of four five one in every game. They don't really uh, spend much of their time attacking. It's all oh, you know. We've got to try and do what we can to stay in this game. Yeah, but in fairness, in like December, Ranieri was talking about getting to forty points. Mm. It's not like Ranieri was talking to uh, giving it loads in August, saying that we've got a team that's got a chance to win the league. That is true, but he is at least. You he's know. G- well, I would say that he's riding the wave. Yeah, at the moment there is that. That is true. That is, I mean, I'm sure Ranieri, if you asked him to do it again, probably wouldn't be able to replicate what's happened this season. But you know, the fact that a player like Maris has done so well for Leicester, the responsibility that he has in the team, I don't see that happening in a Sam Allardyce or Tony Pulis team. I mean, Sam Allardyce. Maybe I'm being a bit unfair to him because he did when he was the manager of Bolton at one point have quite an exciting team. You know, he had JJ Kocha, which every, who everybody said, oh, obviously Kocha's a great player, but, you know, he's he's a bit of an amusement arcade. You know, he's not like a guy who is going to really cut it in the Premier League and all this kind of stuff. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe Sam's attitude has changed since those days. That's it for Kennedy's Report on Sport. Richie Sadler has popped into the studio. Richie, how are you? Only well. I'm pretty good. You looked a little stiff walking in there. What? I, I, I'm stiff and I'm very, very sore. I uh, I completed a 5K run there on Tuesday night, which doesn't probably sound much to a lot of people, but I uh, my running days really should have ended long, long ago. <laughs> right. But I, I just kind of got roped into it. I, I, I kind of do stuff with Bernardo's and they asked me to help promote a campaign, I think called Be Brave for Bernardo's. And the whole idea was you really encourage people to go out and do the things they would normally do in, in January and February, like get fit or, or take on a challenge, but maybe raise raise a few quid for Bernardo's. And I thought, well, if I'm going to go out promoting this, I should really do something myself. So I just chose to ignore the fact that I have the body that I have. <laughs> and uh, I thought a 5K would be fine. There was one on nearby where I lived. So I tore into it on Tuesday night and I got around it without stopping and didn't injure myself, like didn't pull a muscle during the race. Um, so I finished and already kind of thinking of when will my next race be and could I increase it from 5k maybe I'll do a 10k um, but then yesterday I woke up a little bit sore last night very sore and this morning I'm in pieces yeah <laughs> so how was it that was Tuesday 
Those Tuesday It's always two days afterwards. I've noticed this running. The next day you're feeling, yeah, I'm pretty stiff. Oof, geez, but you feel good. It's a good I sore. was on top of the world on Tuesday night. <laughs> and another day later. I was going, all oh, these surgeons telling me I can't run. What the <laughs> hell do they know? And look at me now. I can. I get even, I even increased my pace coming up to the finish line. Like I had a bit less. Really? Yeah, through the finish yeah, line. I, I didn't catch anyone there that was in front of me. But I was delighted with myself. And then... Uh, Thought right, this is the danger zone now because I'm starting to get a bit cocky. I'm, like I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm invincible again, and then that lasted about 24 hours, <laughs> and the reality so was uh, hit. it was a, like a road race, was it? Well, it was it was it was a few different terrain. It yeah. was because I'm kind of thinking the grass would probably be your friend in a situation like it, this. It would be. The, it, it was in Sandy Man, so we started on a on a GA pitch. So you you were kind of running on grass, and then it kind of went into concrete for a while, like on tarmac Adam, and then onto the beach. And then even on the beach, some of the sand was harder in some areas than in, yeah, in yeah. others. So beach is it, tough, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really tough, and and it kind of really annoyed the people who were trying to beat their own like personal best mm-hmm. times because you you can't keep mm-hmm. a high pace on, on on soft sand or whatever. But um, I was just buzzing with the fact that I was running, <laughs> and, I was moving, and not for the bus. I was moving yeah, at yeah. a speed that I hadn't reached in years. <laughs> yeah, fair play. Uh, you were also buzzing at the weekend. You I, were. I was. I, I went had to a old, bit of a trip. Yeah, I went to Old Trafford on Sunday. Um, Richie Sadler's week. We we'll go through Monday <laughs> yeah. now as well. Oh, well, Monday I didn't do much. Uh, I, uh, I yeah, I went over with a friend of mine. He'd, he'd been trying to get over to Old Trafford for years, so uh, we know a few lads who have season tickets over there. So we went and. Um, it was interesting, actually. I hadn't been to Old Trafford in over a decade, I'd say. And the last time I went, it was for a midweek Champions League game against Rangers, actually. And I remember even before the game, as soon as I arrived in the stadium, I just got a sense of how intimidating an arena Old Trafford was. And and even watching the teams warming up beforehand, I was looking at the Rangers players and I was thinking, God, in their minds, they must be thinking, if we're not on our game here, we could get swallowed up. Like in the United team at the time, obviously Ferguson was in the dugout, but... Roy Keane was playing, who was immense that night. Van Nistelrooy up front, Ronaldo and Giggs on the wings. And I really got that thing that you hear United players talk about for years of how kind of awesome a place Old Trafford was. And then I was there on Sunday and I didn't get any of that. Really? I was standing there and I looked, you know, God, the pitch looks great. And you know, this looks like a really good stadium. And I was looking at the United players f- for, for reasons to be really intimidated. And, and there wasn't any. I know they had an injury hit squad and some young players, but even the ones, the established players, haven't been hitting the heights at all recently. And I remember thinking, geez, it must be great coming here now. And I imagine Arsenal must be feeling pretty good about themselves because of the opportunity that they have. And I was even watching Arsenal warming up. And maybe they're like this all the time. But there was so much laughter. They were, they were in great form. Like they, they, uh, it often... You see a little, you know, a, a coach will kind of cone off an area and it'll be a small-sided game of keep ball. You might have kind of three different teams and at any point one of those teams have to chase down the other two teams. And the standard wasn't great. The, no one was keeping ball for any length of time. But every time they lost the ball, there was just laughter. It was all banter and it was, and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And then I looked over at the other side of the pitch then towards towards the end of the warm-up and there was Walcott and Ozil and a couple of them just taking long shots at the at the goals. You know, they have a makeshift goal on the, mm. on the, the side of the pitch. Um, and again, seemed all fairly relaxed. And I remember thinking at the time, is this a sign of just how enjoyable it is to come here or are Arsenal setting themselves up for a massive fall? Um, but, but I didn't know because I hadn't watched Arsenal in any previous warm-up, so I had nothing to compare it yeah. to. You know, if you're a fan of Arsenal and you could look at them and go, hang on, they don't look like they're at it at all. But... 
Um, I was I was amazed by how awful Arsenal were. Like it was it was astounding. Um, there was there was one incident, and and I've seen the highlights since, and the, there was a load of times when I always got the ball and gave it away cheaply, or. But there was one incident, and it was early in the second half. One of the Arsenal players, I don't know who, had the ball kind of five or ten yards outside his own 20-yard area. And Ozil was around the halfway line, and he had a player in front of him and a player behind him. And he, he stood still. He didn't move at all. The, like, not even he was on his toes, ready to dart left or right. He was stationary, flat-footed on the ground, made no effort to move anywhere. So he didn't provide an opportunity or an option for the fat on the ball at all. Mm. And the fell on the ball gave away possession. Then Ozil starts waving his hands. And obviously he hit his back to where I was. I was behind the far goal, so I couldn't see what he was saying. But he was obviously having a go at your man. And I just thought, you bloody weasel. Like, get, do, do, do something. And I know sometimes he's a soft target because he's, he's one of the... He's probably Arsenal's player that can, that can reach a level that the rest can't. So when he plays awful, you think, well, there's, there's a greater cost to everyone else because you're missing Ozil at his best. But I remember thinking at the time, even when even when Arsenal got their second goal, I was at behind the goal at the end of the ground where the Arsenal fans were. I was in the United end, but there wasn't even a roaring response from them where you might think, right, it's three two, we're back in this. There was still twenty minutes to go. Exactly, you knew you, they probably knew as much as everyone else knew that Arsenal aren't going to do anything here. Like they, they were awful. They just they had a hell of an opportunity to to because United were so injury hit. But even United fully fit, like. It's been a long time since yeah. we thought, oh, we're at Man United now, we're going to get hammered. So, um, so did they look to you like a bunch of underperforming superstars, or did they look like a bunch of players who just aren't very good? I mean, very good I, in terms I, of in Premier League winning, good. On that, on in that game, I, I don't know what level I pitched them at. I mean, the word superstars wouldn't come into it at all because of how they played, and I don't even know if you could call Arsenal squad superstars. I know. Ozil's the obvious one, the, the couple of them have World Cup winnings and, and stuff like that. So, but as a team, I don't think you could call that squad that. They were, just, they were just awful and it was a total lack of response as well. And there was one thing which really galled me. There was a, in, early in the second half, Rashford clashed with Koscielny and ended up on the ground and it wasn't a free kick it was just a kind of coming together but he, he ended up getting a kick on, on his tie or stomach or something and he stayed in the ground and then when the ball went out of play Koscielny went over and kind of put his hand in his head and looked concerned Koscielny actually knocked it out of play did he? yeah he, he rolled the ball out of play uh, and you know, and United threw the ball back to Arsenal, which you don't really see a whole lot happening. Right. Well, Koscielny rolled the ball out of play I actually noticed that as well he kicked the ball out of play and then went over to Rashford to ask him how he was Right, do you, like do you an know, eighteen-year-old kid who is very easily intimidated, you would think. Yeah, who's who's already scored two goals against you in a game that matters a huge amount to you, and you think, what the hell is he doing? Sportsmanship. That's one. That's and I get to that in a minute. And and then two or three others during the time at which Rashford was down getting treatment, two or three others went over just to check in and see how he was doing. Now, Arsenal do players. Arsenal players. I don't think any United player went near him. And I mean, you know the, the Graham Sooners quote, their team is son-in-laws, and they, and we all have used different phrases over the years to describe that they they lack something, mm. or that there's there's something in them that that there shouldn't be, and that's the reason they're not winning titles. I I had an experience. I think it was in the reserve team one day. Ian Dowie was playing. I clobbered him. He ended up in the ground, 
and I went over and picked him up. And we had some little jovial exchange. He was like, oh, effing hell, big man. Jeez, no need for that. No, no, jeez, your grand, get up. And whatever. Got into the dressing room at halftime. I was ripped to shreds. Yeah. The, the manager absolutely tore strips off me. And it, it was, a, I'm obviously not going to deliver it the way he did it, but it was along the lines of going, no, I, I don't know what you think you're out there to do, but like being respectful and befriending someone else, your opponent in particular, you're out there to battle against them. I don't want to see that again. And for a, a game of that importance against a kid who, like Murphy said, in, a kid, if, if you're playing against an 18-year-old who's on his debut, make it hard for him. Bully him. Do all the nasty stuff that you would do to, to win your little personal battle. Don't go over. Don't put the ball out of the... Right, fair enough. Put the ball off the pitch. That's kind of standard enough at this stage. But why the hell are you going over patting him on the head asking him how he's doing? When he's just scored two goals against you, he's landed possibly a fatal blow in your title and you're having a stinker of a game yourself. Mm. Like, come on. And yeah. I wonder if anyone in the dressing room would, would like Wenger, the obvious one, but if any other teammate would say, that's we're too damn nice here. So would you say, would you then agree that this is... But here, here's the other thing, sorry, yeah. just to finish oh, yeah, that. Yeah. If, if I saw Roy Keane doing that, I would turn around and go, well, that's... Something's wrong with him. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I would turn around and go, well, you know, what a decent fellow he is. He's sportmanship because he not only gives us all and, and, and battles away, but he can do it in a kind of... He's already proven himself he's, he's to do, you. He's done yeah. that. So that's, you know, that's a kind he's of... confounding act- expectations yeah. as opposed to you know, yeah. fulfilling your Because even in, in the FA Cup final when Millwall played United in 2004, a few of the, the, the Millwall players afterwards said to me what a, what a hero they thought Keane was. Because even United won that game 3-0. They never got out of first gear. But there was a load of moments where Keane would be running alongside one of the Millwall lads, say running back to the halfway line preparing for a kick out to be taken where he would offer encouraging words to them. What? He would just, he, he, Keane would just go on, go on, keep it going. Something along the lines of that. Because he knew the game, he knew the game was won. Again, well that's the thing, is that sportsmanship? Is yeah, it patronising? Is it out of place? The, the, the victory was, the, the result was never in doubt that day. If you remember that, it's yeah. probably the most one-sided cup final. Ronaldo played pretty well, I remember, yeah. Did yeah? My housemate was marking him. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Ryan. He, he, that was his last game for Millwall. And it, it's the like I, I, I obviously it's great. To, it's it's great to play. In, it must be great to play in an FA Cup final. Again, I don't know how many Irish players have done it over the years, but that somehow has become the match that everyone slags Robbie about. What? Because Ronaldo. Well, playing in the playing in the FA Cup final. I mean, I'm not too sure about that. Well, he was up against Ronaldo, who who you know was a player you wouldn't want to be up against. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the form he was in that day. Um, well, he could point out also that John O'Shea was destroyed so badly by a much younger Cristiano Ronaldo that the, he was immediately signed by the Manchester United players. We were all laughing at John. <laughs> Rio Ferdinand retold that story lately and said John O'Shea yeah. was on his hands and knees panting for breath at half time. Yeah, it gets <laughs> worse every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Ronaldo scored eight goals that day, if I remember correctly. Do you think that would be ta- patronising of Keane to do stuff like that? I think so, yeah. Really? Oh, come on. If you're If you're... Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't judge. But I mean, just based on imagining the situation, he's he's in an FA Cup final. His team is winning easily, and he's coasting. I mean, they're really coasting. And he's a, and he's encouraging. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just wants a competitive game. Do you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I don't mean to, to be too bad about it. But maybe he really he he's firing himself up as much as anything. He's just trying. I don't know, trying to keep it competitive. But I want, do you want to get back to Arsenal before we lose that yeah, thread there? Well, just like because from what, what from what you've been saying, Richie, it sounds to me as though you reckon the problem with Arsenal is a problem, a psychological or an attitude problem rather than a technical problem. Like, for instance, um, 
essentially the lack of, you know, real, real flinty characters, winners, Tony Adams, all this kind of thing, uh, as compared to, well, when you look at Arsenal, they don't really have anyone in midfield who's able to control the game. You know what I mean? They've, they've, they've just got, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of the type of player who, who's running off, you know, the guy with the ball and, and, you know, should be running into a good position to receive a pass, but they don't really have that guy. It's the lack of a really dominating central midfield figure, you think? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, and, and we were talking about this the other day with Vieira, and and someone was saying, oh, you know, this isn't, someone was saying to me on Twitter, this isn't what it's about. Michael Cox, for instance, the zonal marking guy had written a piece saying, look, it's not about, it's not about leaders, you know, it's not about, like, uh, he, he, he had brought up uh, this, like a, something Herbert Chapman had written like in the 20s about how oh, it's funny how the old time players always are like, you know, 10 feet tall. You know, these these old timers are always like uh, they were real. They were real men and not like the soft baby men that we of have. The 1920s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Post-war Britain, the well-known soft men of that time. Exactly. Uh, so it's so it's kind of a recurring thing. I mean, you can see it in GAA as well. You know, it's it's always the it's always the way the guys who are retired are, you know, the game was different then. It's not like not like it is now. But he was ma- making the point. That's not really the issue. The issue is is they don't really have a midfielder who can control the game. And the thing is that Patrick Vieira is both of those things. You know what I mean? He is both a kind of both a kind of a uh, kind of a mean player who sets the tone by pff, often acts of extreme violence. You know, and, and intimidation against the opponent. But also a really classy player on the ball who kind of makes the play for the team. And uh, I don't know which which of those absences you reckon is is actually more important for Arsenal. Now. Well, I I think they're lacking in both, so it's costing them on two fronts. But I think like the the whole thing of lack of leaders. I mean, you can go back to I think the Arsenal team of '99 who you know who didn't win the league and who you know lost the cup semi final to United. So there's plenty of leaders in that team, and they just fell short. So it's not just about that, but the total lack of it in this Arsenal squad is. It, it does seem to be costing them great. I don't think it's a massive, like you said, deficiency in technical ability or you don't look at their lineup and comparing them, go back to Sunday or to the Swansea game last night, certainly. You can't say, well, what we've got is inferior to what they've got. So, we, we you know, we have to make it up in other things. So it's 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 not a it's not a lack of footballing talent or, or skill, but they're, the personality of the group like as it's expressed in 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 performances or or tight run-ins or or just the way they talk or, or or play just seems to be lacking in a huge amount. Yeah, and well that's kind of interesting just from what you were saying about the warm-up as well. If it was just one central midfielder that they go out and sign Kanté in the summer and then they're championship contenders, but maybe it's more the culture, like it's the culture of the club, the culture of you know, the the mindset of 10 or 12 of their best players, as opposed to, well, you throw Pat, Patrick Vieira into that team, all of a sudden they'll sweep the league. I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there. I think there's a culture within Arsenal which is particular to Arsenal in that the, the manager is is never seems to be under pressure whether they win the league or not. There, there's never... That there's been campaigns at various points at various different strengths from the Arsenal fans to maybe thinking maybe this is time to change the, the, the manager. But the, you don't get it from within the club. And even when Wenger talks about his record, he beams with pride about the record of being in the top four for so long, qualifying out of the group stage. It's never in terms of winning the league or not. And if, if the manager doesn't see it in those terms, 
well then surely that permeates into the dressing room in the minds of the players. Yeah. If you have the manager big enough about the, the achievement of finishing top four, well then the players have to think it's an achievement to finish top four. But if the manager keeps talking about it, it, there's something wrong, I don't know why we're finishing fourth and third and occasionally second, but never first. That's never Wenger's focus. I do think the he is going to start coming under pressure now, though. If they mm. lose to Tottenham at the weekend at White Hart Lane, I think he, he it's already looking like it's getting into a situation where matches the Emirates are going to have this mutinous atmosphere. We saw last night him getting Wenger getting booed when he substituted Joel Campbell off, for example. A lot of internet anger. Oh, we've been talking about this today <laughs> after the game as well. It seems like Arsenal fans are really at the, at the end of their tether and it's all well and good, everyone in the club supporting him so far. But if it gets to a stage where every week, I, I, I mightn't go as far as Aston Villa where fans are walking out of the stadium necessarily, but if there's this mutinous well, atmosphere. Might. I mean, there was, there was yeah. empty seats to the game last night, you know? People were like, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered with this. It must drive you mad being an Arsenal fan. Yeah. And I, I think, I think he, he kind of reminds me now of like... Uh, like a rich kid in the arcade, the video arcade, who who's just keeps playing the game and like has got an infinite supply of coins <laughs> and just won't get off the game and keeps dying at exactly the same point in the game. It's like give someone else a go. You know how you keep you've played this game twenty times. You keep dying at the exact same point. Can you not see the thing that you're doing wrong? Everyone in the in the place is standing around trying to wait to wait to get on the game. Watching him, he's actually beginning to attract a crowd of people who are who are who are like, can you believe this guy? What game is he playing? Street Fighter. Some I can I know I can imagine it must be some kind of a platform yeah, type thing. You, yeah, I got to move from one level to the next yeah. level. Oh, sure. yeah. And there's a thing, and you know, you, you can see it's really obvious that like Super Mario has to you know jump and he has to bounce here and he's got to get up onto this level, but he just keeps you know missing the bounce and then falling down into the canyon, you know, and and then turning around and fishing another fishing like another euro out of his pocket, and you're thinking, how much money does this guy have? That's pretty much how I feel. Does it get to a stage where it's it could be untenable for Wenger? Am I overstating how important the fans are if they do turn on him? It does look it's as angry as it's ever been. As you say, it must be a nightmare being an Arsenal supporter now. Well, it depends how the the, the rest of the season goes. I mean, do, will will an FA Cup win? They've won That's the FA Cup the last two so years. Yeah, would, that was, would it, that will that count for anything? Will, will an FA Cup win at the end of this season count for anything if they don't win the league? Now, and, and if they don't win the league because of you know, Leicester or Tottenham pulled away from them on the final weekend, would that be different from not winning the league because they finished fourth and this run they're in at the moment now or this really flat performances continue from now to the end of the well, season. Well, if, if that happens, then they mightn't even make the champion. They mightn't even come fourth. Well, see, they, that, that's, that's so tied up there now. Exactly. So, it, whether his position had come untenable, I think, like, they could still win the league from this position. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the other thing as well. The yeah. way this season has gone and the way the results are going to go probably between now and the season, all the teams at the top will continue to drop points. So they could be title winners coming up. I, I don't think they will at all. It would amaze me if they did from this point. Can I mention another manager who I don't think gets anywhere near as much stick as Wenger, mm. even though he deserves it? Well, Manuel Pellegrini. Well, the reason that he does Because he's so nice and he's about the only manager near the top of the Premier League who you think, well, that guy seems like a human being. But also... <laughs> I, I can sort of relate to him. I, I think I might have an uncle like him. You know, <laughs> seems like a decent fella. But, but he's having an absolute. He's, he's destroying Manchester City and running them straight out of the Champions League. Well, the reason that he doesn't get criticised is that he's already lost his job. That's true. Mm. I mean, he's going to be leaving in in May. He also just won trophy on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
literally won the League Cup four days ago. Um, you know, so it could it could be worse. Uh, but yeah, his, his record is really bad against, particularly this season. I mean, someone was treating me there pointing out his record against the top eight teams. Uh, well, the other people, the other teams in the top eight are uh, is zero wins, three draws, eight defeats. You know, three lost three one at home to Leicester, lost two. Like they've lost all their home games against those teams. Four one at home to Liverpool, two one to West Ham, two one to Spurs, and three one to Leicester. That's their home results. They've still got to play Arsenal, Man United uh, at home, and away they haven't obviously won any. Drew, drew at Leicester, lost four one to Tottenham, three <laughs> uh, 0 to Liverpool. Uh, two nil uh, to uh, two nil to Stoke. Yeah, this, what, what, okay. He won the league in his first season, but since then I, it's been pretty poor. Uh, Champions League might work out this year. They finally got a foothold in that competition after a lot of years of trying. But a lot of managers could have won a Premier League title at least one in three seasons with this team. I, I don't. I just don't think he's brought in anything like the organization or the steal or whatever it was he was brought in to do. I don't, I don't see what he's given this team that Roberto Mancini wasn't, for example. Um. Well, he's not he's not fighting his own players in the training ground. That's the difference. I mean, Roberto Mancini. Maybe he should though. Maybe he should fight those players. And well, Roberto Mancini had the same experience more or less. He he also won the title, and then didn't win it. The following season had a really bad title defense. That's exactly what's happened with with Pellegrini. I mean, Pellegrini, the Man City team that won the title, scored more than a hundred goals. You know, it was exceptional. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a good season. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was it was an exciting. Uh, kind of a race. Do you not think that he's uh, partly the reason that he doesn't get criticised is because he is so nice? No, because I, I think he's the same as Arsene Wenger in that sense. Like, Arsene Wenger, maybe Arsene Wenger's a little bit more, you know, he's got a little bit more sarcasm or sourness. But then again, he has been there for 20 years. You know, you've seen, <laughs> you've seen Arsene Wenger in basically every mood it's possible to have. And sometimes he does can get a bit snippy. Whereas Pellegrini usually manages to... You know, take a deep breath. Um, I think the reason is just that he's he's already gone. I mean, people might be saying, "Oh, this is terrible." Pellegrini, Man City are are you know uh, moribund. Uh, they're they're level with Man United now, which is unbelievable. Um, Pellegrini's got to go. He's already gone. Richie, would you join in and kick, kick me while I'm kicking a man while he's down? I'm a Ken I'm on that one. Yeah, I'm getting the hell out of Pellegrini here. Please join in. But again, a, a campaign to oust someone is kind of wasted when you know he's going anyway. Um, and it isn't beyond the rounds of possibility that Guardiola would be taking over a club that's in the Europa League. Yeah, that'd be a right laugh. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think I don't think the City fans would be. I mean, they'd, obviously they just won a cup. It won't please them that United could possibly overtake them. But um, I don't think there's a huge amount of certainly feeling that, that the Arsenal fans have because they they would have assumed that the necessary change, if, if one is needed, the change that has been made and that is coming in the summer is the thing that's going to make the massive long-term difference. The performance last night, though, and the excuse of tiredness strikes me as pretty crazy. I, I, I think it was Stephen Mann, one of the BT Sport team made the point afterwards, OK, so they're complaining about being tired. They did have, to, they did have a long trip in the Champions League, but that trip was t- undertaken a day before Liverpool played their game. So they were back home in bed by the time Liverpool were playing. Then they both played the exact same match mm. at the weekend and now they're playing each other. It, it's much of a muchness, really. There's no reason for Man City to be so far off the intensity required for a game in Anfield. No, and I mean, Pellegrini was talking about the uh, lack of freshness, which is might have been, might, the excuse might have worked if they'd been playing against anyone except the team that they literally just played. Mm. You know, um, 
bit now. I mean, he said, oh, Liverpool could make more changes or whatever. Well, he could have made more changes if he thought freshness was such a problem. You know what I mean? It, it, it was a poor... I mean, he, how can you stand over that performance? I mean, there's just some... City have got some average enough players. I mean, Nicholas Otamendi. Oh. I was watching him. I think, how much <laughs> do they pay for this guy again? How much did George Bennett persuade them to pay for this guy? Ridiculous. You know what I mean? Just running... Yeah. He, the, the third goal, I mean, okay, the game's already lost at that stage, but I've seen him do that quite a lot. He's, he, he is more bronze than brain. And Vincent Company defender. starts making mistakes beside him as well, which mm. I, I think Company is prone to the odd mistake, but when you're playing beside a guy like that, it must be impossible. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just they've... It, it, it sort of goes to show, you know, Man City have got all this money, but ultimately if you, if you sign average players you pay it doesn't you know you've paid 40 million it looks as though you've got like a world class player you haven't like this guy would be sitting on the bench if he was at Leicester at the moment you know what I mean he would be behind Wes Morgan at the moment so uh, it's kind of it's it's sort of showing that uh, okay you can have all the money in the world but if you make bad decisions which they have done then it's going to cost you Tottenham slipped up last night as well Richie which means you must be feeling Pretty good, as Ireland's foremost Leicester fan. Good week for us. <laughs> it was a good week. We, 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 to, we to face a lot of doubters on Tuesday night. You were straight on the phone to Steve Claridge and Gary Lineker, <laughs> the rest of the boys, to the have a chat about Leicester, yeah. Yeah, and it's been, it, it is, I know we're kind of laughing, it, it's amazing really, isn't it, mm. what, what's happening? Um, and even the results last night, and you, you wouldn't have thought like a, a draw at home to West Brom would, would increase your lead um, over all the other contenders, but... Um, Tottenham's defeat last night, I, I, I don't think, I know people are saying oh, both North, North London clubs have bottled it last night, I don't think the two defeats are comparable at all. Like Tottenham, I think they've won six in a row going into last night. Seven in a row, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, so, and they were away against you know a local rival who's chasing the Champions League spot. It, it, it's not the same as, as Arsenal collapsing at home to a team in Swansea's position after going 1-0 up. So um, I, I, I would put Tottenham as, as strong favourites for the weekend, but... As to what's going to happen beyond this weekend, who knows? Yeah, and it was just, I, I was just interesting watching the Leicester West Brom game. The last ten minutes was exactly what you would expect from a team at the top of the league, like camped out in the West Brom yeah. uh, penalty area. And watching it two days after watching Arsenal's last twenty minutes against Manchester United, the team that finished for Manchester United was, I would say, the worst team that Man United have played, even for five minutes in thirty years. Easily 30 years, mm. actually. Uh, when you think that uh, Weir was on, Varela was obviously still playing. Uh, 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 Rashford was on. Yeah, goals. I mean, it was the, the 11 that, that finished the game for Manchester was like, it was unbelievable that United could have could field a team like that in the Premier League. And Arsenal just didn't put them under any pressure at all. And again, it's maybe it's just straws in the wind or whatever. But Leicester are out there trying to win these games, and yeah. and they nearly did. I mean, Ojo had a yeah. had a chance in injury time. And Wes Morgan had a had a brilliant. Oh chance yeah, he he should have absolutely nailed that. But like this was it was they were it looked as though they were going to score. It's what Ranieri said after the game when he was asked, and is it dis- are you disappointed? Is it two points dropped? And he stressed the performance, and you could see exactly why he'd be pleased with the performance because at the end they were battering West Brom. There was no sign of any of the things that would really concern you in a team in this position which Arsenal have, have showed in abundance City did last night as well they're still going strong still going strong and in even better news Richie we can let you go by informing you that Murph here does a mean deep tissue massage 
Does he really? <laughs> get, he'll need I really the, don't. I get really stuck don't. in there in the next few minutes. Uh, li- but listen, just slip the trousers off there and we'll, we'll get down to business. Not, a, not again. <laughs> Thanks, Richie. <laughs> See you, lads. The training pitch is all stress. And somebody's got somebody's to hold a hand up and say, it's like training on a car park. No, 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 no regrets about it, no. As soon as you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. Who, John Delaney? He could have found me, of course he could have. Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. As an ex-player, and as an Irishman, and I mean an Irishman, uh, born in radio, then I, I thought I was entitled to give my opinion. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. Why did you turn it off? I see you. Just put on silence. You just gonna let it ring. All right, it's good manners. Play a video game. If that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention handball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it, and Ireland never grabbed it. Usual, usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. They can complain all they want, and all these players, they can complain all they want. It's not going to change. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. Yeah, I would caution against attaching too much importance to the warm up of the Arsenal players. Really great stuff from Richard Aaron and brilliant observations on. <laughs> what he saw from that Arsenal team and the lack of a lot of the qualities that you need really to win the league but just on the, the warm-up I don't know I mean we were at Barcelona against Arsenal and the Arsenal players were at the far end from where we were but I was watching those Barcelona players warm-up and they didn't look like they were getting too highly strung about things there was a lot of just wandering around M- Messi and Alves I've been picking this up to Simon I was saying you have to see this Messi Alves warm up it's absolutely incredible they do it before every game I've seen them before they volley the ball to each other from 40 yards and control it at really awkward heights volley it back it's amazing and we watched it for a couple of minutes and I don't know if they strung two passes together they're both, they're both just looking at each other kicking a few along the ground volleying one or two not doing much then Messi thinks I'll take a few shots couldn't hit a barn door in that warm up yeah, I don't think he scored one goal uh, most of them in and around the goals, but generally just over the bar. So my point being that if you were looking at them, you'd be thinking, these guys are exactly the same as the observation Richie made against Arsenal. These guys are very loose. Are they a little too loose? But that's not necessarily the case. I do attach a lot of idea, a lot of importance to the point that they're probably too nice. I know you feel that maybe it's just being sportsmanlike, Ken, but there does seem to be a general air of, I don't know, softness or niceness, whatever it might be, running through that squad. Yeah. the manager, Dan. Um, well, there, there is. I mean, Wenger is, is used to losing. There are no consequences to losing in that club. Uh, Up until now. Yeah. I think they could be soon. Yeah, but I mean, that's the culture. You know, the the, the manager like, gets into the Champions League and considers that to be enough. And that's it. You know, everyone, and that comes from the chairman, everyone... If that's good enough, fourth is good enough. And also, us. the danger is there that you're, there's an assumption you're going to come fourth. Yeah, that starts to break down that rationale if you don't make it into the Champions League, which is like uh, if, if, Spur, if Spurs beat Arsenal this weekend and, and Man United win, uh, and you know if if City, uh, you know, but if if Arsenal lose Man United, win Man United are one point behind Arsenal. Isn't it so weird that we're having this? 
debate. And as you mentioned, can, Arsenal can still win the league. Yeah, are, what are they? I keep forgetting the league they're table. Six, so. They're six behind Leicester. <laughs> two wins off. Yeah, two, potentially two results off Leicester. And obviously they'd have taught them to overhaul. But I just don't really don't see that happening. The one bold prediction I make in all of this is that, that Arsenal, Arsenal will not win the league. So what you're basically yeah. saying is that Leicester or Spurs will win the league. Oh, yeah. Well, it's hardly that big a shout, though, is it? Well, I mean... It would, it would have been a pretty big shout in August. <laughs> I still think no, no, I still think Man City are more likely than Arsenal. I mean, City will be one point behind Arsenal if they win their game in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, it's not that City are doing anything for me or anyone this season, but I still, I still bizarrely, despite my criticisms of Pellegrini earlier, think that it might be more likely that they turn around. But I don't think that will happen either. Yeah, I'm going to say it. No, I'm going to rule City out as well. You're right, Murph. Lesser Spurs. I think the thing about Arsenal, or about Arsenal Vega particularly, is he has a really long-term view you know, very long term. I mean, I remember uh, David Stubbs, um, David Stubbs, who's an Arsenal fan, a very funny writer, talking about Arsenal after one of these, uh, <laughs> you know, one of these kind of defeats. Horror weeks. He's like, yeah, and, and Wenger saying, you know, he, he had sort of Wenger going, oh, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, your short termism, judge me in a century, a century, a century and a half. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that will be my, my legacy. And it's kind of, you, you do sort of get that sense. I was trying to think if he, if he had said something in that Lakeep interview about having learned that in Japan, sort of when he was, you know, he was sort of meditating in the, amongst the cherry blossoms, kind of on the eternal circles of life, you know, and how it was silly to, to just fly off the handle after, you know, your first defeat. But, I could, but in fact, he didn't, I'd imagine that. Uh, he does say, though, what I enjoyed about sumo in Japan he went pretty deep, a deep dive into Japanese culture. What I enjoyed about sumo is that at the end of the fight, the winner never celebrates, so as not to humiliate the loser. I've greatly suffered in defeat. When I see the behavior and the excesses in some countries, I think the values the Japanese culture conveys, or the English sense of values, are remarkable. And they then say, in what way have you become English? And he says, it's the country of the heart. It's not afraid of emotion. In, English, in English, England, people will say, I love it. We pollute our emotions because of our Cartesian spirit. We don't know how to love without limits. Um, the English know how to lose themselves in emotions. It's funny, actually, that he says that. It's a French guy talking about English culture. I would have thought that if you ask an English guy about French culture, he might come out with all the same stereotypes, just in reverse. <laughs> what do you love about yourself? Well, our stiff upper lip. <laughs> No, I mean about the French. Oh, that the so, French yeah, are emotional. The, yeah, and, exactly. But the yeah. uh, and that's how an English person would see themselves. Yeah. I'm sure. We're, you know, we're that that English reserve uh, that we you know no, nobody ever shows their emotions as we know in England. Well, apparently it is okay for sports people to be nice. They can also win, as the case is with the Golden State Warriors, according to a very gushing Sports Illustrated cover story by Rick Riley. This week, it's something we discussed with US Murph in our earlier podcast. It's already out for you to listen to. We also looked ahead to Conor McGregor jumping up the weight divisions to fight Nate Diaz this weekend. And we had a good uh, debate about the recent suggestions that tackling should be banned in rugby, or at least in underage rugby, to ward off the safety concerns that are engulfing the sport at the moment. You can rate and comment on the podcast on iTunes. Someday Simon will explain to me what exactly that does. Uh, in the meantime, he just tells me to say it. So there you it's go. The numbers. So yeah, it's something about numbers, some sort of algorithm, who knows. So say something nice about it and give it a high rating. I presume that's also part of the high system rating? here. Simon? Yeah, just high any, rating. Simon, any rating, any comment, just just get on there. Just activity <laughs> is what it's all about. Yeah. All right, thanks. Who am I going to thank here? I think I'm going to Ken first. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thank you. you, Thanks a million for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. 